Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. You cannot have full charisma if you don't have humor. You can have charisma, um, but it's a different kind of charisma. So the, the true star power is the ability to, um, you know, show all kinds of emotions. Uh, and I would say that humor is high up there in terms of the, the skills required to be, uh, you know, a, a, a real star. Welcome to the Humorology Podcast with me, Paul Barros, and my glittering lineup of guests from the worlds of business, sport, and entertainment, who are here to share their wisdom and their use of humour with you. Humorology is the study of how humour can dramatically improve your business success and your life. Humorology puts the fun into business fundamentals, increases the value of your laughing stock, and puts a punchline back into your bottom line. Please remember to like, subscribe and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. My guest on this edition of the Humorology podcast is one of the country's premier producers at the impressive pinnacle of the TV profession. He is the multi-award winning executive producer behind The Graham Norton Show, So Graham Norton and Idris Elba meets Paul McCartney, just to name a few. When he isn't overseeing interviews with the world's greatest A-listers and leading them to laughter, he keeps busy by brokering brilliant business deals. He co-founded So Television with his business partner Graham Norton in the year 2000 and has been one of the most influential figures in the world of entertainment ever since. Although our chair is not big or red, we desperately hope he will share his scintillating stories so we won't feel compelled to tip him out of it. Graham Stewart, welcome to the Humorology podcast. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. Very good to be here. Well, it's a great pleasure to have you here. I mean, I've uh, loved your work and admired you for so long, and it's fantastic to have you here. I'd like to start by going back to your roots. I know your roots are in Dundee. In your family, was humour valued? That's a very good question. Uh, yes, it was. It, it, it was valued. I'll, I'll tell you a, a really uh, formative experience for me was um, when I was very young, um, my father, uh, his best friend, um, the, the two couples, my mum and dad and uh, my best friend, Uncle David and his wife, they did a thing called the swap night and it was on Wednesday nights. And they, the wives would go to one house and the, and the, the, the husbands would go to, to the other house. So on the Wednesday nights when David was over with my father, that was then the night that Markham and Wise was on television, uh, you know, early Markham and Wise. And as a child, I can remember the gales of laughter that came from downstairs from, from my father and, and from David. And it was a really powerful memory for me. And um, they, uh, my dad loved comedy, but he loved Marker and Wise. And I think that did something to me in those days. And I thought, 
you know, well, I, I was even at an early age, I was obsessed with television, but I thought, you know, being funny on television is a powerful thing. Uh, and maybe one day. So that's where it started. Well, that's amazing. I mean, the first thing I'd like to say is that my, that my heart skipped a beat when you said swap night with your parents. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, and now, of course, I think oh, that's, yes. Um, uh, well, uh, my parents would be horrified <laughs> if they were around <laughs> to, to exactly. have any allegations made. No, it was, it was entirely, no. entirely above board. But I, I, I get it. But I, I'm I'm intrigued because the 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 young Graham Stewart was already sort of the the antenna were up and went. Oh my God, Walkman and Wise! People can go on television and yeah. get this glorious reaction around the country, and and it. So it was as young as that that you. I mean, they say, "Give me a child of seven, and I will give you the man." So it was as young as that that you realised that this tool that Morecambe and Wise were using could could be something that you could do. I don't think people ever believe me, but um, I was I just had decided from and that was part of it from a very early age that what I was going to do was to work in broadcasting, and I didn't come from my father was uh, was a chartered accountant and and ran a textile uh, firm in Dundee and um, there was no history of, of uh, you know that kind of broadcasting dynasty that, that some people come from uh, he was a filmmaker he, he, he was an amateur filmmaker um, and he uh, and he did make a comedy film but it that it certainly wasn't that it was I just I loved radio and television. And, and decided that's what I'm going to do. And the Markham and Wise thing suggested that that area where I'd like to end up. But was the young was it the young Graham Stewart involved in in the theatre when he was young? Was there school plays or anything like that? Yes, I mean I think I did what people usually do. And yeah, I, I was uh, always interested, I certainly was interested in, in, in um, theatre and, and plays and, and, and I was involved in that. Um, I think I was, you know, and there were later experiences which confirmed it for me. And it's about, you know, it's this thing about knowing yourself. What I knew was that I was never going to be a performer, although I did try it. Um, but I sort of knew that my skill set was was not really at home there. It was going to be in making stuff rather than 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 doing it. But I, that didn't stop me trying, and I I, I did try and do uh, performance um, uh, with varying degrees of success. As I got older, the, the, my obsession was with radio. I loved radio, so I would uh, you know try and do things, record things, and 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 you know I loved the idea of you know having a tape machine and and uh, using your voice and. Yeah, all of that. But in my heart and in my head, I thought, you know what? I'm never going to, I'm not going to be a star. I didn't have that drive. I didn't think, uh, you know what, I'm going to be, I'm, I'm, I'm the funniest person in the room. None of that. I just thought, I know this world, but I know where I'll be in it. You went on to become uh, a sports reporter on screen on the biggest Scottish TV show, uh, Scott Sport. Uh, with Arthur Monford, what what did you learn from being on screen that helped you later on? I was very young, completely naive, and I suddenly was involved in a in a television show which was part of very much a part of the fabric of Scottish society because sport is is, is an obsession there, and I was suddenly on it, uh, which was very very powerful experience for me as a young person and it and I did it for two years um, uh, there are two things I can say about it one it was incredible education and two I was terrible um, <laughs> because it was it, 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 because I wasn't trained for it it was a world really without support I didn't really have the, the help um, and that's, there are lots of reasons for that, because suddenly I was moving, it was the lesson about being a performer. I was on screen, everything, all the rules are different. Um, but it was an amazing experience. I had some really uh, uh, 
<laughs> big experiences while, while I was doing it. What it taught me, it taught me so much about uh, broadcasting and about live television and about how, how you deal with live television. And more than anything else, as, 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 as someone who was, you know, has become a producer, it taught me the respect you must have for anyone that does, that does go in front of the camera, that does go and open their mouth and say things that are being broadcast to a nation. It's, you, you, I admire them, I admire all of them, I respect them, I've been there and I know what it was like. Uh, also, the, the, the other thing of it, which is that you, then suddenly people know who you are. And if you're involved in sports television in, in Scotland, um, people have opinions and uh, they like to voice them in, how can I put it, um, unexpurgated form. And that was an education for, for me as well. But uh, no, it was, I had amazing experiences, but uh, <laughs> I moved on from that. It's great that you actually can actually understand from a psychological perspective mm. what uh, the, the person on the screen is going through. And yeah. rather than being the producer who screams in their ear, yeah. just yeah. get it right. You know, everything. You once told me over lunch, you once took over on Scott Sport. Yes, I did. Um, uh, quite early in my career, um, Arthur Montfort, who was, yeah, I'd grown up watching and listening to Arthur. He was the, uh, I think the polite expression is the doyen of Scottish sports commentators. His, his, his sports jackets and his, his vocabulary uh, were legendary in, in, in Scotland. Uh, he was an extraordinary man. Uh, anyway, he, he liked to play golf and he went for a golfing weekend, leaving me to be the reporter and to present the entire episode of a show that I had, you know, watched since I was a boy. And um, yeah, that was a that was a formative experience. And um, well, I can tell you the quick story about that. I, I I did the whole show, which went past in a blur. It was very very difficult for me. I was naive and inexperienced. There's a lot to do. You're linking into the matches, you have to. Uh, do interviews afterwards, you, you are playing in reports that I'd done before, you've got to do the latest news. And, and anyway, and I get to the end of the show. And traditionally in, in the broadcasting or in performance, uh, you would expect that uh, people on the floor, would, would when it's finished, they will say, um, well done. Yeah, well done. Good show. Uh, nobody said that. Uh, nobody, nobody said anything uh, at the end of it. Uh, you know, this is Scotland, people are not lavish in their praise. Um, anyway, I went upstairs to the office uh, afterwards and uh, not really having spoken to anyone. And uh, I went into the office and, and the, the, the production secretary was there. Um, and she said, oh, there's been a call for you. Uh, and I thought, well, the one person who would have a comment or say something after you've uh, gone through this experience, well, that would be your mother. Um, so I said, oh, was that my mum? And she said, no. So I thought, not even my mother is calling me. Um, I said, who was it? And she said, it was Jock Steen, then the manager of Scotland, the, 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 one of the greatest football managers of all time. Uh, the man who took Celtic to the you know, first British club to win the European Cup in 1967. A, a great, great man. And I said, what did he say? And the secretary said, he said, tell the young lad he did well. And that was the manager of Scotland saying that. And I've analyzed that afterwards. That was really a big thing for me, but I've analyzed that afterwards. And, and what was happening there was that Jock Steen was the greatest manager of men that football's ever known. He won the European Cup with, with, with these boys who were all from Glasgow, they're, they're literally from a few miles at the centre of Glasgow. And he made them the greatest team in Europe, if not the world. And he did it with, with you know, difficult characters. Jimmy Johnson, the, you know, the genius, but, but, but wayward. Jinky Johnson. He knew how to manage people. He watched me on screen. He saw the fear in my eyes. And he knew, like a player who, who, who you know, was under pressure, that you know, you either shout at them or you put your arm around them. He knew that, that I needed the arm around and he, he gave me that. And I was, I walked out of that building feeling 10 feet tall. Jock Steen said I'd done well. Didn't care what anyone else thought. Jock Steen. And that, 
I've held that with me my whole life, and um, and and I think that's important too for for the work that I do. Praise, the right praise at the right time, is the is such a such a powerful, powerful. Um, it's obviously a weapon, um, a, a device to to, to to make people feel better. I I think that's such a. a a great story and it's so indicative of what the whole humorology project is about is that great leaders know when lightness yeah. when praise is yeah. needed to pick people up and and that's you know i i mean he was uh, at least one of the greatest if not the greatest of all yeah. time and yeah. understanding and uh, you know, he essentially had a degree in people, didn't he? Mm, and absolutely, yeah. yeah and and really, I understand really from uh, my family, um, as you know, are from Glasgow, that he had also a wicked sense of humour. So he could tease, he could play as well. You know, he was, and these terms are used lightly, but this is for real. He was a great man. If he walked into a room and I was in his presence and I saw it with, with, with incredibly, I was, you know, and the World Cup with Scotland and, and, and uh, he was there. These people, these, these great players would, would um, immediately, it's not being submissive, they would just be respectful. They knew that this was a man who knew what to do, what to say, when to say it, how to do it. Uh, you know, he, he, he was legendary. Yeah. Oh. Absolutely legendary. And I, I'm fascinated by because uh, you just you said a phrase during that, 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 that Scottish people aren't lavish with their praise. And having having spent a lot of my time uh, as a child going up to Glasgow uh, with my uh, cousins, I'll tell you a quick story that uh, the first time uh, I I was on top of the pops. I thought, you know, it was like you with wanting to work in television. My thing was to be on top of the pops. I thought I was going to be David, the new David Bowie, but I ended up having a penciled on moustache and singing stutter <laughs> rap. Uh, but and then the, the first time I went, I went off on tour to Glasgow and I went to see my family and I went, they lived in Cran Hill which was very rough at the time. And uh, I went there and all my cousins gathered round and just, you know, you still, you feel a bit sort of like I've been on top of the pops and everything. And they allowed me to puff my chest out a little bit. And they went, oh, we saw you on that there, top of the pops, uh, Uncle Paul. And I was just, just enough. And then they looked me straight in the eye and went, we thought you were shay. <laughs> <laughs> which is which is high praise, high praise in the East End of Glasgow. I, I it, it really is actually. But to be honest, uh, only people who understand that thing will understand that they did it with a glint in the eye, and they were <laughs> they were they were having a laugh. And you, if you love someone in in Glasgow, you take the piss. I think that's. Uh, you do, you do. It, it, they, they do take it to extremes. I mean, I was, when, you know, that was the thing. When I was on TV, they, they um, <laughs> as I said, people felt the, 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 the right to uh, make comments to you. you. You know, you're in their sitting room because you're on TV. And um, uh, I, one time I was sitting in a, um, a bar in, in, in Glasgow and, um, you know, I, I got used to this. So there'd be the, the tap on the shoulder and look up and it, you know, there was a, a um, how can I put it? Well, a, a, a distinctive Glaswegian type. And uh, he <laughs> said, I, I, I know who you are. But they always got my name wrong. The previous guy who did the job, his name was um, Andy, Andy Melvin. And um, there was a rumour that, because my surname was Stuart, that I was the son of Andy Stewart, the famous Scots singer. Um, he did have a son, actually, he does have a son who is, similar age to me but i'm not andy's your son but so i was known as andy i got used to that. i said hi you're andy off the telly uh-huh and i said yes yeah yeah and he said my wife really likes you and i said oh thank you very much and without batting an eyelid he said i think you're a c-word and um uh you know he he could say that because I was on TV, and I well, yeah, thanks very much. And off he went. <laughs> off he went. He had he had imparted the message he wished to impart, and I had to 
realized that I was uh, had become a c word for um, quite a lot of people. That was a lesson. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's a term of affection back in the day in Glasgow, yeah. to be honest. Uh, it wasn't said with affection, but yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, you've done approaching, uh, I don't know, what is it nearly 900 shows now for uh, Graham Norton shows? Yes, and, yes, yes. And, and you've been up close and personal with more celebrities than just about anyone. Yeah. What is the difference that makes a difference uh, that gives someone true charisma and likability, and is humour essential in, in that mix? It definitely is. Humour is 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 a, you know absolutely vital ingredient. Put it this way: you cannot have full charisma if you don't have humour. You can have charisma, um, but it's a different kind of charisma. So the, the, the true star power is the ability to um, you know show all kinds of emotions uh, and I would say that humor is high up there in terms of the, the skills required to be uh, you know a, a, a real star. So what is that magic that uh, that happens uh, because we had James Longman who's the executive producer on the Late Late Show with James Corden in America and he talked about Will Ferrell for instance having extraordinary charisma obviously on screen, but in person, there was something else that was happening. Is that about um, the humour that connects people, that, that ability to, to connect with everybody in the room? Here's the thing about being really famous and being um, a true star, is you, you, you have to be exceptional. There are lots of people who are famous who are, who are, who are um, good and there are people who are funny and there are people who are great actors and people who are good at you know, sport or whatever, but but when you, we're talking, and that's the privilege of, of working on the Norton Show, you were talking about people who are at the highest and in, in, in the top echelon, the highest tier of, of what it is they're doing. Those people are, they are very, very good at what they do, and they're very good at being a star. Um, the really good ones are the ones who are, who are good at being a star, but you know, it can often be innate. Jock Steen, going back to Jock Steen, I'll give you two examples. Jock Steen and Tom Hanks, they seem very different, but both of them change the room when they come in. And that's a cliche, and people, oh, ever, you know, people talk about that all the time. Believe me, I, because I've mixed with all these famous people, I know the ones that change the room. And Jock Steen and Tom Hanks, you know, and if they came in together, the room would explode. Um, they, they have... They're brilliant at what they do. They're 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 uh, interesting and fascinating people, but they have an aura which is which is beyond what a normal human being. These are these are super normal people. So really, humour, in your opinion, having seen all these um, huge stars close close up, is a superpower at that it level. Is. It is. It, it absolutely is. To use it correctly, to to understand how you use it, when you use it, that is, yes, it is a superpower. When it's used at its full extent by a handful of people, um, it's, it's, it's amazing to be in that presence. In psychological terms, I, I would say, because lots of people listening to this are going to want to take something away and they go, well, that's fine. These people are born with it. Uh, but I actually don't believe that they are born with it. I, I think, and my thesis is, they are very good at listening. They are very good at, at queuing into what people need. And I think you can learn to get better at that. Would, would you agree? Oh, yeah, yes, yes, Paul, I absolutely agree. I, I you know, we're talking, and I've used the, the expression already about skill set. I think being, being famous, being a performer, and being a funny person is, you know, requires a set of skills. And uh, you can, as with every skill, you can improve it. You can learn techniques and you can learn uh, ways of, of uh, enhancing what you have. Even 
you know, the truth is, um, and, uh, you know, in fact, it, interesting at, at the moment, um, you know, Jimmy Carr has written his book about uh, his life. And his, his theory is that you don't have to be funny. You just have to learn how to be funny. Uh, and I think that's true. But to be truly funny, there is a chip within you that, um, that has to be there. And then you can enhance it. But yes, you can absolutely improve and uh uh, enhance your skills and and and, and be funnier and be more interesting. Um, but the real real talent are the, the people. The real talents are the people who, um, for much of much of what they do, it, it comes natural. Uh, yes. Yeah, so I mean, you love your sport as as do I. And is the analogy um, which I think I was talking about uh, on a previous episode, whereby David. Beckham, let's just take an example, has a, for want of a better expression, a gift from God of uh, coordination, sort of foot-eye coordination. And Gary Neville has an, an ability to work very, very hard. But I always, I pointed out to my son when he was playing football that Gary Neville won more trophies than David Beckham. So you can make yourself better at it with work. And I think that's what people want to hear about, is that not that people have just born with this skill, but they've uh, they've acquired it. And when I'm working with people, whether that's leaders or, or teams, I'm there to take what they've got and enhance it. And do you think you've enhanced what you do by being around these people and modelling them? Your whole life. I mean, that, your whole life is about is about assimilating information and experiences. How you grew up, and 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 you watch the the best people. Uh, well, first of all, when you're young, you just watch older people do that. Some of the things they teach you are wrong, but but you but you do assimilate it. Um, and I think that that the the ability to keep learning and or whatever age is 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 very important. You know, I've been privileged to be around people who are at the very top of their game. And just one thing I would put in there, and it's connected to what we were talking about before, it's about also understanding your limits. Um, some people might not like this because they say, oh, well, that's wrong. You don't, you shouldn't, you shouldn't limit yourself. You should just be, do everything and, and, and be, be whatever you want to be. I, I, I think, you know, intelligence in, in, in life is understanding your limits. You want to try and exceed them, but but you understand where you are. I, I mean, I'm, the example I would give, you asked me earlier about performing. When I was at um, university, I was I did a lot of acting uh, because I really enjoyed it. And I was in a play uh, at university uh, and I was doing a scene um, with uh, a girl who, who went on to become a very successful um, actor. And we were doing a scene together, and I can remember this so vividly. We're we're doing a scene, and I'm the two of us. And as I'm doing the scene, what I realized was that I was doing the lines, and she was living them. She was she was acting, and I, I I and I thought, you know, I I could do I could spend a thousand years doing this. I can never do that, and it was confirming what I thought. Look, I am not, you know, much as I like being on a stage, uh, well, a bit, but, you know, if I ever fancied myself as being someone that was going to be a professional performer, it wasn't going to happen, or I wasn't going to be, I was going to be mediocre. She was brilliant. I was functional. Uh, and and so I, I, my point is, this is not going against your point about teaching people. I think you can get better, but I'm just saying, I, when there's a bar and I'm just being realistic, I hit the bar. <laughs> and then moved to one side. Well, it's funny because I had a, a, a similar experience, obviously doing a lot of stage at the Comedy Store. I actually spent about a year and a half guesting with the Comedy Store players when, in the really early days when Mike Myers and Paul Merton and Neil Malarkey and uh, Josie Lawrence uh, and, and Sandy Toxvig and everything. And I held my own. But actually about a year and a half in, I actually realized that this was, uh, I could get to a certain level and I would have been decent and I, you know, I, I think I did well, but 
you suddenly realize that there is another level yeah. and exactly. and uh, and it's later on that you can actually go okay well it was mike myers and paul merton and oh, exactly. so it, everything's relative you used a, a very 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 good word there and that word is decent and if you if you think well what i'm doing is decent that is damning with faint praise time to um revisit your career structure yeah, yeah i agree what makes you laugh graham you know a lot of things uh make me laugh and i i you know, absolutely uh love comedy in, in in lots of different forms i think you know i've got to be it, 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 when you do it for a living you know you're going to be careful this is the thing that I, always makes me think and it's it, it's a way that americans particularly american producers um deal with comedy so they will listen to something uh, you know a brilliant piece of work and and um or you know you're pitching them an idea which is a funny idea and they say these words yeah that's funny and they say it with that expression and and you you're thinking to yourself well, maybe a laugh wouldn't be out of order at this point but they're going it's that thing about comedy as a science and they're going yeah that that, that, that works um and I'm, I, you know, I'm aware of doing that sometimes. You know, I, I, I could be watching a TV show and I think, yes, yeah, that's, that's funny. And people, well, I should be laughing. Um, so it, you, you, you crave the comedy experiences when you do the natural reaction instantly, uh, where you go, <laughs> you don't have to say that's funny because you, you, your laughter says it is. That's what I, I, I look for. And it's, you know, you get, you watch a lot of it and uh, you experience a lot of it. You, you, you get selective. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Uh, and so, I, I mean, you talked about Morecambe and Wise earlier on. Is it, I mean, are they still the benchmark for you or has it moved on? Well, listen, they, they were amazing. Eric Morecambe, I mean, and, and, you know, Ernie Wise, you know, again, it's, it, it's fair to say, now, you, it, it was a double act and everything that Eric did was because of Ernie and, and Ernie's timing was amazing. But Eric Morecambe was, you know, a fantastically funny man. Yes, I, I hold him in, in great esteem because that he made my dad laugh and uh, that that's something that was that's always been important to me i i you know you the great thing is now you can you can see all this stuff and i, I saw something the other day that, that, that i can't remember what i was flicking through but the, there was a bit there was a bit of uh more well, yeah there was a for some reason it was um i think bbc were doing something about shirley bassey and i happened to be clicking through and, and it was the Shirley Bassey and the Mark and Wise show. And, you know, it's a famous thing. And when you look at it now, it's, it's it, you know, the effects are, and the props are a bit cheap and, uh, and, and, and it, oh, it's still, it looks a bit old-fashioned and clunky. Eric Morecambe is saying very little. He, but his, his body, his, he was, because he was, he was a really good mover. He was a good dancer. The physical nature of his comedy and, and the face, I, I was just, I was laughing out loud. I, I just remember this, how funny he was and how, and that was being watched by, at the time, you know, it wasn't 26 million people are watching it. That, that's how, how big that was. Yeah, I, I, I still like him. But, I'm, you know, there are a lot of other people that, 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 that I love and, uh, uh, and are as funny or funnier. But, yeah, he does have a special place. So Malcolm is have a special place. I mean, I... I was lucky enough to be backstage at the David Frost show, um, Frost Live from London, with Eric Morecambe stuck in a green room. And you know that more than anybody else in the probably in the mm. world, that green room mm. thing when mm. you're suddenly just there having a chat. And we were just having a chat about football, actually, mm. a big Luton Town fan. Yeah. And uh, he's... I, 
what happened, and you will understand this, and you probably have your own stories about this, is that we were just chatting away about football, just the two of us, and suddenly a, a woman approached from nowhere and was very hesitant and was trying to come up and was sort of skulking up towards us and, and, and went, look, I'm so sorry to have disturbed you, but I was in the audience today and I just couldn't, uh, couldn't waste this opportunity to come up to you, Mr. Morecambe. I'm so sorry to have disturbed. And she was very humble and very lovely. And, uh, but I just had to thank you for all the pleasure you've brought me and my family over the years. And she just had to say that. And he was so lovely and so humble and so and, and so embracing of that. And she backed off apologising, going, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, and everything. And just the two of us were standing there. And he just turned to me and went, seems like a nice young man. <laughs> and he just did the gag for me. And... Right. You must have had so many of those experiences when you're actually seeing it at first hand and, and experiencing the magic. We've been talking about it. It's, a, it's a, 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 this ex exceptionalism, this 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 skill that goes beyond what, what people normally would think. I mean, look, I, I, I'm I'm not going to trump your your story, uh, which is a good one, but there some of the experiences. Uh, I've had over the years. I remember, and it's sometimes, you know, because of the talk shows, not just the Norton show, because I worked on talk shows before, they, they, you know, some of the experiences are, are kind of out-of-body experiences in that when when you're, it's happened a couple of times in my life where, where I'm realized that what I'm doing, like you, you're in a one-to-one -one with people that are so famous and they're looking at you and talking to you that you, and I'm sure you do the same, you come out of you. I mean, I, I always think of television terms. So I come out and I do a white shot and I'm looking down at myself thinking, oh, oh, oh I've got to, I've got better tape this because no one's going to believe it. <laughs> and the, the one that comes to mind is that um, quite a few years ago, we had, because we had him several times, we had Robin Williams, you know, who was one of the world's funniest people ever and we were i was in uh, went into makeup uh, to uh, just see the guests and it was a makeup lady robin williams and me and you know i'm doing the producer but i'm saying uh oh robin you know it's we love having you in the show it's so good thanks for being here and yeah and he wanted to chat and, and and we didn't, I'm going to ruin the story. I can't remember what it was we were talking about, but because it was, because I was in going into a state of shock, what happened then in comedy terms was, and I admit that I, this, I'm not the right person to do it. He, the way he talks is that he started talking and then, you know, and you, you know, from all the improv days, you've got to feed, you've got to do the feed, you've got to do the, and which I realized and I was doing. And at that moment, I went into the wide shot above my head because I was riffing with Robin Williams, the world's funniest man. And I was working with him. And um, you know what? The terrible thing is I've forgotten what we were riffing about. Um, I, think it was, I think it was something to do with being in London. But that moment, I thought... How many people, how many people get, get, get that chance? So that's me. Oh. But but actually, there's a really important lesson there is that, that when you are doing that, it is about just listening to the person. That's the improv lesson, isn't it? It's you yeah. suddenly yes. realised that you had to uh, play because yeah. otherwise he had nothing to play off. Exactly. You know, I think that's really good. Uh, I, I was interested because you have prepped literally thousands of people for interviews. Now, a lot of these people are famous, so you think that they might know a bit about what they're doing, but some of them don't. You have to relax them. You will see, you know. Uh, what advice would you give to anyone being interviewed on radio or TV? It very much depends on, on what's expected of you. But if you're going on a talk show, if you're going on a talk show, an entertainment talk show, then, you know, 
By the way, I was trained at LWT. We never call them chat shows because chat is insubstantial. You only call them talk shows. So that, that, that's it's just a thing in my head. I can never call it a chat show. It's always a talk show. Um, you, you're going to have to talk. That, that comes with the territory. And you're also going to have to entertain. And um, the, the way to do that is to, is to be able to tell at least two stories. Uh, one of them will be cut out but one of them will win and and and, and it, it won't happen magically you know people think you know that thing where people it's like an experienced producer will say well just go on and be funny uh no 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 funny requires pre-thinking and planning and it's not cynical it's just being realistic in your head that's all you have to know you see and you know you tell the, you tell the people who are going to interview you whatever you do ask me about beetroot because uh, I've got just a winning beetroot story. And then it's their challenge to, to, to work that into your, your interview. Uh, and that's, that's all I would say. Just, you know, do the funny. So what is it that stops people from being funny? Because, I mean, I, I think that, you know, nerves play a part and talking yourself out of it can play a part. I mean, I always say there's two types of people in the world, those who get nervous and those who are liars, you know. <laughs> so true. When you're helping people to get over their nerves, do you have any things that, that you use to help people or any tips that, that our audience uh, might be able to use? I think the kind of people that we're dealing with, I don't think, I don't think nerves come into it particularly. No, certainly not. This is another thing. The reason the success of the Graham Norton show, um, let's face it, is down to the remarkable and brilliant talent of Graham Norton. He is without doubt, and people would say I'm biased, but I do know what I'm talking about. The most gifted, the most talented, uh, and the most effective talk show host in the world, and, and the Americans agree it too, is that what Graham does is that he will, be, and he's a comedian, he's got comedy time. To be a talk show host, you know, I always talk about a Zen, uh, Venn diagram of what, you know, the skill set, and part of the skill set is being a stand-up comedian. Paul, you know this. If you've been a stand-up, you have a you have a, a sense of timing and a comedy radar, which no one else gets. You can be a you can be a very funny, witty person, but if you, you have stood on stages, you have and you've looked at an audience and you have worked funny and been funny, that's very particular. Graham has that. He also has is, is a, has a warmth and an understanding and an empathy because not only is he has he been a stand-up comedian, but he, he trained as an actor. All we mainly have actors on, and actors sense the empathy from somebody who has done and experienced what they've done. So when, no matter who they are, when they sit down on the sofa or on the, the individual chairs, as we have now in COVID times, they look over to Graham and they feel that they're with somebody who will be kind and gentle and get the best from them. And nerves, if they exist, dissipate very, very quickly. And look, we've done thousands of guests and, um, you know, from the, the highest to the lowest. If you, if you took a poll of those thousands of guests and say, you know, in, 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 as a television experience, you, know, how would you, you like that thing you always get in every, every website you're on, you know, how would you rate it zero to five? Um, People are going to give them five. Everybody's going to give them five because they feel that they had a, a, an experience of warmth. And that, when you relax like that, even though there's an, a nervousness because of the circumstances, because you're on television and you know people are watching and all of that, I think at that moment you you'll give up your best. And people are the funny people get funnier, the unfunny people get a bit funny, um, <laughs> and the weirdos remain weird. But um, but they might say something funny. I, I think that's fascinating. And from a psychological perspective, what I think is uh, is so brilliant, and uh, you've just expressed it uh, uh, about Graham Norton, is that he goes into that state ahead of the guests. So he is relaxed. He is cheeky. He is funny. He is empathetic. He's doing all the things that they need to do. And there's an automatic symbiotic process whereby they go, oh, 
I'm safe, but I can also um, go on that level. And I, I mean, I, you are sort of hiding your light slightly under a bushel because you are doing this um, backstage as well. You are creating an environment. And I, I think, you know, a lot of the Humorology Project is all about, you know, how do you create environments where this can uh, flow easily? Can you talk a little bit about how you, um, running the company, create an environment where you get the most creativity and, and everything coming out? It's very interesting. Um, yeah, and I know this is everything about humor, humorology and, and the, what, what you're doing. Um, you know, I've always felt that you should be in a creative business, um, but in any business, but, but we're in a creative business. So you want to you want to create a world where people feel that they're um, not comfortable, but they, they feel safe, and that um, the currency of what we do, our business, is the idea. Some people think it's other things. Some people are spending their time thinking about um, logistics and, and and money, and those are important. But but for me, the, the, I've always said that our business, the currency, is the idea. Ideas can come from any any person, any time, but they're more likely to come in an environment where they are encouraged. So encouragement, Jock Steen in my head saying, the lad did well. Well, that, I, I, was, I, I, I mean, God, I've been doing this so long and I'm so old, that, but I never, I'm not thinking of myself as an elder statesman. I like to think of myself as an enthusiast. So I, when I work with development people, you know, which is what we have to do with the right people. Honestly, it's the best part of, of what we do. The, the, the best part is, is being in a space where you go, well, what if? What if we did this? What if we tried that? What if we used this person? The, the energy that, 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 uh, that you, you derivate from that, absolutely, you derive from that, absolutely um, creates the space for ideas. But in your business, whatever it is, if you're making TV shows or you're, or you're making widgets, do you, can you create a place where people go, what, it's the what if, what, what if we tried that? That's the, that's the place that, that which every company should have. And isn't that where a lot of leaders, well, not a lot, I don't know the percentage, but leaders fail is because they, they, they try, they create an atmosphere which stifles creativity and, and it, and it comes from the top. If I asked you to write a business case, and I know you've written a lot of business cases in your time, but a business case for humour, what would you include in it? Are you imagining a, a, a case to run a business or, or any business that you must have humour involved? Is that is that what you're looking for? Yes. It's, it's vital for just human relations. And that is, after all, what, what you have at any company. You've got, people have got to connect to work together. They, they, they've got to connect because they sit next to each other. They've got to connect because you're passing messages. You, you know, everybody from, from the, from the post room to the, to the, to the CEO office, everybody's connecting and communicating. So out of that, I'm saying, don't say to people, you've got to be funny. You've got to be funny. I want you to be funny. If you're doing something, be funny. I'd say, you know what? If you're doing something and there's something funny about it, say, happy with that. You know, as I say, from the post room to the CEO's office, better get the timing right. You know, if, if, if you wander into the CEO's office and say, <laughs> you know, a man walked into a bar and, and I doubt if that's going to help you get on in life. But you know what I mean? If, if, if the if circumstances allow and that the culture says, you know, that can be, that can, that can happen. You can be funny when it's right. What's the return on investment? Because we have to cons consider that all the financial directors are going, you know, why should we have more humour in here? It's, there's nothing on the bottom line. What, what is the, a tangible thing that, that people can get from it? And I understand, you know, thinking about FDs and, and the demands they have. Well, I, I'll use the word productivity. Productivity, which sounds like a dull word, is actually, a, it's, 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 it's a great word, it's a positive word. It's saying, get the most from your people, therefore get the most from your business, right? Get the most from your people, enhance your productivity, 
everyone, your bottom line is improved. Everybody, everybody's happy. The FD is happy. The FD is cracking jokes. There you go. That's it. You, 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 you know, you know, a positive workforce that's 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 empowered and uh, and enjoying themselves. I guarantee your business will be will do better. Great stuff. I couldn't agree more. We come to the part of the show, Graham, called Quick Fire Questions. Quick Fire Questions. Who's the funniest person in business that you've met? The funniest person in business is um, undoubtedly Kevin Ligo, now running ITV, and uh, I'm sure you know him well. Kevin is, uh, and, and he's been very instrumental in our career. He was at Channel 4 when, when Graham and I started there. He's at ITV, and, and as you know, we're owned by ITV Studios. And um, Kevin is probably the, the, the most gifted television executive uh, out there, but he has the driest and most effective sense of humour of anyone uh, doing working in that in that area. So I, I, I would nominate Kevin. Uh, a great choice. What book makes you laugh, Graham? For just page on page uh, wit and brilliance and, 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 and just intelligence, Bill Bryson, Lost Continent, is, is a book that, that I return to. And it, it's so well done. I was a great American file, American file, and, and, and actually made, we made films. I made films with Robert Coltrane, driving across America, doing exactly what, what Bill Bryson did. He does it so brilliantly. Every, there are jokes in, every, you know, we, we talk about laughter ratio. Uh, you know, sitcoms have laughter ratio. And comedy talk shows have a higher laughter ratio because people are quicker. When people are doing the stuff that, the, that you do in a talk show, you can get more laughs. Bill Bryson gets more laughs on a page. And if it wasn't Bill Bryson, then my greatest hero is Clive James. So name any Clive James book, and I, I, I absolutely love that. And I worked for Clive James, which was, again, a hugely uh, important part of my career. Oh, what a gifted man! Got sadly missed. Everything. Uh, it's interesting that you 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 said gags per page, and we used to talk about in comedy GPM gags per mm, minute. Per minute, you had yeah. to have yeah, yeah. have the thing, mm. and so you think about it in those terms. But mm. Bill Bryson, oh, what a writer! What a genius! Yeah, it's brilliant, brilliant. What film makes you laugh? Again. Part of the privilege of my job was I got to meet the person involved. Mel Brooks is about the funniest person that, that, that there's ever been. And you can name any of them, but I'm going to say the producers because uh, because obviously it, it means something to me. So, um, yeah, if, if, if uh, springtime for Hitler, is uh, that, 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 that will do it for me. We're going to take a shift to the other side, Graham. Um, what is not funny? I think it's, uh, you know... Like comedy is in the eye of the beholder, and 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 uncomedy is is also in the eye of the beholder. I mean, you know, there are simple and trite answers. Um, okay, just just to be technical, forced comedy is not funny. I mean, it's obvious, you know, tragedy is not funny. Every and all the bad things in the world of which there are plenty. But if you force comedy, then the funny comes out of it. So the more forced it is, um, the the unfunnier it is. So. Yeah, forced comedy. So uh, describe forced comedy for me, because I, I automatically started to think of those comedies which had the canned laughter shoved on. Yes, I mean, I mean that's true. That's, that, you know, that's forced comedy reaction. I'm talking about forced comedy. That is where, uh, where someone says, I have to be funny now, and this is what I'm going to say. Or someone says, you're going to be funny now, and this is what you're going to say. That you know, will very possibly fall on stony ground. Um, it, it, you know, comedy should be real. Um, not necessarily spontaneous, it just should be real. You've got an English degree. What word makes you laugh? It, 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 that's, it's such a brilliant question. Right, I, and I'm, I'm, so the word that makes me laugh, the word that I use is a funny word, and, and this is, and it's a Scottish thing. Um, it's a surname. And the surname is McGlumfort. 
And it's not a real surname. It, 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 there is a Scottish surname called, I think it's called McGlumpha. But McGlumpha, now over the years, if I was ever telling a story that involved a, 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 a you know, a, a, a bad Scottish person, or I was looking for a generic truth, I would always say that, you know, that's what Mrs. McGlumford was saying. And, and I have used McGlumford. So, it, it, and you ask this, this is me, no one else is laughing now, but in my head, when I have a sentence which has got McGlumford in it, I think that's about the funniest thing I've ever heard. So that's, that's, a, that's a personal thing. It's a funny name. It, yeah, it, it, it is. is. It is. Well, thank you, Paul. <laughs> And guess me. what? Nobody else has ever chosen McGlumford. You'll be surprised <laughs> to know. Sure. It's all yours. Thank you. What, Thank you. What sound makes you laugh? I like, uh, you know, I'm not, I've never been a fan of the, if, you know, you, you know the sounds that people use to make you laugh, you know, because uh, the world and, and, and for many people, anything that is uh, that is uh, that sounds like a fart is is the, is the funniest thing ever. And and I, I'm not disputing that it can be funny, but it's, that's not my kind of comedy. The sound that makes you laugh is the sound of a brilliant comic saying a word. And I'd, I'd rather hear it from a human voice. It's the sound created. Yes. By yes. A, co- a comedian. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, it's funny because uh, um, Deborah Meaden's choice of uh, word was the word or the name Bob, but only said by Rowan Atkinson. Oh well, that's the, you know that that's the most brilliant sequence, uh, and, and uh, Rowan, you know, again, and again, I've, I've been very lucky to to be around Rowan. Is at genius level, and he is uh, as good as anyone has ever been both in the physical comedy but also in that in, in, in that variable to do what he does well you know we read out the names of, 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 of pupils but but to do that Bob sequence which where he says Bob I think he says it seven or eight times and it just gets funnier and funnier who in the world could do that that's it's that's that's genius uh, yeah, and you imagine that written down on the page when the script comes in. <laughs> and it's like there's nothing there apart from what he creates. So I completely understand what you mean by that. That's fabulous. Would you rather be considered clever or funny, Graham? I would never. I, well, I'd rather be considered clever. I, I, I would never be considered funny. I'd never be considered funny because that's not what I do. I mean, I, I, I you know, I like funny and, and, and I would, would try and say funny things in, in, in conversation, but I'm not, no, I, and, 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 you know, I, I, I'm not a funny person. I just love being in funny. So if people were, if, if, no one in the world is ever saying, oh, great, so he's really funny. No one's ever said that. Maybe they did when I was on Scottsport, but they would put, there'd be an epithet <laughs> before that. Um, no, I, 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 I would like to be <laughs> clever would do for me. Thank you. Well, you see, you just proved yourself wrong because you made me laugh by saying <laughs> no, there would be an epithet before that. So <laughs> only it's all real, Paul. This is, I'm just dealing with reality. So you know, yeah. that's real comedy, I suppose. Yeah, it is. It is. It's in the moment. And finally, Graham, desert island gags. You can only take one joke with you to a desert island. What is it? Well, what I would take with me, and that one joke is very short. Um, I'm sure you are a fan of uh, of this comedian. Um, it's somebody that has, has, has made me laugh through my whole life and 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 always will make me laugh. And that and, and Stephen Wright, the master of the one-liner. And there, there's so many of them, of those one-liners which are brilliant. But there's one that, that I've kept with me, and it, look, it's it's very simple, but it's but it's in his laconic style. And I would be hearing on the desert island, I'd just be hearing his voice on a loop playing this. And 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 uh, and it's very simple. And the joke is uh, I can't. I'm not going to do an impression, but, you know, I'll do it kind of in the style where he said, I've been keeping a diary all of my life. Day one reads, still tired after the move. <laughs> That's it. It works for me. You have to do it in his voice, but he oh. is a genius. And that, I, it, that's the whole of life encompassed, and it, he does it in his style. Um, I, I mean, right, okay, if it wasn't that one, because um, I feel that one didn't go down so well, um, 
I went to a restaurant that served that said it served breakfast at any time. So I ordered French toast during the Renaissance. <laughs> It's Brilliant. a small world. And I'm on a roll now. It's a small world, but I wouldn't want to paint it. <laughs> That's enough. Brilliant. He, he's a genius. He's, a, he's another genius. I love him. And you know what? His dad was from Paisley. Did you know that? No, I His didn't dad, know he, that. Stephen Wright, a very American, laconic, and you know, frizzy haired. His dad was from Paisley. That is, that, so there you that he, he's He's a joke. And uh, that, that works for me as well. Uh, well, all the funniest people in the world are Celts. Uh, <laughs> discuss. We can say that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Graham Stewart, thank you so much for sharing your culture, your comedy, and lots and lots of fun with us today on the Humorology podcast. Thank you, Paul. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. The Humorology podcast was hosted by Paul Barros and produced by Simon Banks. Music by Steve Hayworth, creative direction by Les Hughes, and additional research by Helen Sykes. Please remember to subscribe, like, and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a Big Sky production. <laughs>